In Romans chapter 13 and verses 11 and 12, the Apostle Paul says, And do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. I would like to propose to you the question tonight, are you woke? I heard that term some time back and I was not aware of what it meant, so I took the time to look it up. And I find out that Merriam-Webster.com says that woke is a slang term that is easing into the mainstream from African-American vernacular English, and that in some dialects, awake is often rendered as woke, as in, I was sleeping, but now I'm woke, W-O-K-E. Woke is increasingly used metaphorically, I'm told, for social awareness. A person who has awakened to social issues and has become aware of injustice or oppression or whatever particular uh, social issue of the day happens to be, that person is said to be woke. And that just means they're awake. It is very quickly taking on broader uses. For example, a woke corporation is a company that is socially aware and adopts progressive policies and advertising campaigns reflective of that social awareness. I also learned that the term woke Twitter has a very recently taken off as the shorthand for describing social media activists concerned with progressive issues. So I want to say tonight that woke is something we need to be in the biblical sense of the term. So I ask, are you woke? In Romans 13, the passage that I just read a moment ago, the apostle says that it is high time to awake out of sleep. It is not a time for lethargy and slumber, but rather it's a time, if you will, to become woke. Now there's a tone of urgency in Paul's words tonight, and I hope to be able to communicate that urgency to you as well. So number one, tonight we need to become woke on the brevity of life. James said in chapter 4 and verse 14, For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. When James likens your life and mine to a vapor, he compares it to one of the most fleeting and ephemeral phenomena of nature. You know, a morning fog appears in the twilight morning hours of the day, and it is there only for a brief time, and if you're not paying close attention, suddenly the fog has dissipated before you hardly notice that it's gone. And such is our life. Paul and James are saying, therefore, that we must wake up and realize, even if we're very young, that our life is very temporary, well, completely temporary, and quite brief, as it turns out. In other words, we need to give our greatest energies and our service to the Lord now, today, because the days are fleeting and the time passes quickly. And we should not, therefore, squander away our days and our times and our lives for the service of the material things of the world and the service of the devil in the world. Now, I might add, though, that even if you take a look at yourself and realize that you've been guilty of doing this, 
And even if it may even be late in life for you, as long as you're still breathing and as long as your heart is beating, as long as you're still walking above the ground, it is still an opportunity for you to change, that you now can serve God faithfully, more faithfully perhaps than before. I'm afraid though that the way we are sometimes, we need to hear the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 or 5 and verse 14, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. And so, if we're not in the right way, and if we're not awake on these issues, on this matter of the brevity of life, then it's time that we woke up. It's time that we become woke. Number two, we need to become woke on the pressing needs of God's service. Now, that may be the same point I just made. I don't know. But let me just add to it a little bit. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 28, Paul says, Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. This passage speaks of an acceptable service to God. And let me just say tonight that God needs people to serve Him. Now let me clarify that God doesn't need anything from us. Just read the book of Psalm, the 50th Psalms, the 50th Psalm, and you'll see what I mean. God doesn't need anything from me, and He doesn't need anything from you. But let me say that God has put His cause into the hands of human beings in this world. And the only way that his cause can be represented and upheld in the world is by people to take hold of that cause and to go forth with the work. God needs people to love him, or God's cause needs people to love God. Jesus quoted the Old Testament, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. We also need to love the Word of God. Now, you could go out on the street and I suppose find a whole lot of people who would tell you that they have a love of the Word of God, and maybe you could find a lot of people in the church that say they have a love of the Word of God, but if you watch them and listen to them and observe their patterns of behavior over the course of several weeks, days, months, or years, you'll find that maybe they don't quite honor it like they say. So when we say love the Word of God, we're talking about having enough of the motivation and the willingness to devote our energies and our resources to cherishing the Word of God, searching the Word of God, devouring the Word of God, imbibing the Word of God, and accepting it and letting it soak into the pores of our thoughts so that we may play them out in our lives, or the Word out in our lives. In other words, obey it. God needs people to do this. Let me add, God's cause needs people to make the life of the church a lifestyle and not just an appendage to all of the American dream that we sometimes devote more attention to, it seems, than the services of God. People need to devote themselves to the cause of God in every respect so that the work of the church, the efforts of the church, the plans of the church to carry out the cause of the Lord, the services of the church, if you will, become the warp and woof of our lives on a day-to-day -day basis, and like I said, not just a patch that's added on or sewed on on Sunday. And so, my friends, we need to become woke on the service of God. But let me hasten. We need to become woke on the evils of sin. In Ephesians 5 and verse 11, Paul says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather 
expose them. Have no fellowship. This means no affinity with, no involvement in, no participation in any of the things that the Bible calls sin. Now let me just tell you, in my observation, you can take that position and you can apply it to your life in a practical way on a day-to-day -day basis and many people, sometimes even members of the church, will call you radical and extreme. But I believe that extreme and radical is the thing that Paul had in mind. For when we consider the great power and the force of the sins of the world and the things that surround us everywhere and threaten the spiritual lives of ourselves and our children, we need to be a little more radical than we are and quit trying to uh, buddy up to the world to somehow win them to the church through a, a congenial stance with sin. It's time that we get serious about living the Christian life. Now, permit me to criticize parents, even though I'm not one. I've been an observer for a long time of parents raising their children in the church. And it's been my notice that parents who are proactive and make a planned and executed effort to instill holiness and a respect for the Word of God and a commitment to the body of Christ, those parents who do that have a far better track record of raising children who will do the same thing when they become adults than those who simply, again, are reactive and only try to fight things off once they've been invited into the home or into the lives of people and into the lives of their children because they've been lax and careless in the treatment of matters of sin relative to the family. Let me add to this point. Fathers need to step up and be the spiritual leaders of the family and stop leaving it for the mothers. You know, people think it seems like that because the mother carries the baby in the womb and the mother cares for the little toddler when it's very young while the father's off working at the job and the mother takes care of this and takes care of that, that when it comes to the matters of spirituality, then she ought to take care of that too. And the problem is that a lot of fathers, I notice this in the church a lot, there are lots of men who think that it is their responsibility simply to make a living, give thanks at the dinner table, and drive the family to church on Sunday, and there's virtually no other input from the Father on matters of spirituality than that. My friends, I'm afraid that there are men who are going to lose their souls in the day of judgment for the failure to follow up and to step up and take the lead in the family on matters of spirituality. They are going to be accountable before God on the day of judgment for the fact that their children are no longer in the body of Christ and maybe even other influences as a result of that. You know, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 speaks of the fact that there is a thing called the corruption that is in the world that grows corrupt. We need to fight that off. We need to do whatever we can, and if we don't know what to do, let's talk to people and ask questions and find out what we can do and what we can know about how to fight off the ways of sin. But I must hurry. We need to become woke, I believe, on the very real and rising threat of persecution. Yes, really. In Luke chapter 21 and verse 12, Jesus says, But before all these things they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. 
For years, I think, we've been reading these passages like this as something that that was the way it was back then. That's something that may, may be the way it was a few centuries ago, but we don't need to concern ourselves so much with that today. And that's been true. And maybe it still is to a great extent. But here in this passage, Jesus says that persecution involves prosecution. In other words, whenever persecution comes on the rise, it will be through the arm of the state that will attempt to thwart the church and to silence people into submission. This is the way it was all through the Old Testament when those marvelous and very brave Old Testament prophets were again and again brought before one of the kings of Israel and Judah and brought to task for some of the things that they preached and declared among the people. All the way down to the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation when, for example, the church at Smyrna in the book of Revelation was threatened with the same power. Persecution comes through the state. Now. I'm not an alarmist, and I'm not here to be sensational, and I'm not trying to impress you with anything of that sort, and I don't want to frighten people. But I'm afraid, I'll be honest with you, that we are living in the last days of comfortable Christianity in America. And if you think I'm just being radical, just go out and take a look on the internet at some of the things that people who we may disagree with on some things, but we agree on other things, and some of those things people are being fined for. They're being run out of business for. They're even being put into prison for. Just take a look at the things that you hear and see on the news. And if you think you haven't heard much about it, I say go take a look again on the internet. There is a growing hatred of Christianity, of the Judeo-Christian ethic and morality. And moreover, anyone who upholds it and believes it is hated all the more for doing so. And the person who is bold enough to step up and take a stand for it takes the heat. And let me tell you, it's hot in the kitchen. It's hot in the kitchen whenever that type of opposition comes. People all over the Western world, I don't know if some of you are aware of this or not, for we only hear it occasionally now and then on the news, but it's all over the place. All over the Western world, and even in the United States today, people are being sued and being issued massive fines for simply acting or failing to act in some cases because of their conviction on certain matters of principle. And louder and more powerful voices are even now calling for legislation that essentially outlaws some parts of the Bible, even in the United States of America. You say, well, that's not going to happen anytime soon. Maybe not. But I think we need to be aware of it. I think we need to educate ourselves and we need to be thinking about what we're going to do when we are confronted with these kinds of things. Well, I need to hurry. I'm right now out of time. I want to say one more thing. We need to get woke on the coming judgment. Jesus and Paul and the New Testament writers proclaimed a judgment. Jesus proclaimed a judgment. The world today says there will not be one because there's no God. And the proof is in how they live and how they openly and proudly disdain God and his law and criticize every person who upholds it. But just because a thing is not believed doesn't mean it will not become a reality. Simply denying the judgment doesn't mean it will not come. I may defy, I may disdain the law of gravity, 
But if I jump off of a 30-story building, it's not going to take me very long to figure out that the reality was different than what I believed. We need to be waking up. We need to wake up in our spiritual lives and do what we can to awake others. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.